Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are a promise-making God, and we ask that you would fulfill your promises to us this morning, particularly the promise to grant wisdom to those who ask for it. Oh Lord, we ask for wisdom as we study this prophecy that you granted to your people so many years ago. We pray that you would help us to understand what you said so many years ago to those And we pray, though, that it would have great application to us today, that you would grant us wisdom to know how we are to respond to this prophecy in this day and age. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said before, we are going to be studying the book of Amos for some weeks to come, uh, taking a break from my series in the book of John. And Amos, as you can see from verse 1, is a prophet who was a shepherd of the shepherds of Tekoa. Verse 1, it says, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. And he was living at the time when the Israel was basically split into two kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and there was the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And that split had come after the death of King Solomon. Uh, so Israel, uh, first king was Saul, and then you had King David. And then King David's son Solomon was a time of great prosperity, Uh, for the people of Israel. After he died, the kingdom was split, and then it continued for many uh, centuries after that to be a king. uh, There were two kingdoms within the land of Israel. And so Amos is a shepherd at this time, and he is, during the time of the reigns of Uzziah, king of Judah, it says there in verse 1, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, as king of Israel. And this was actually a time of great prosperity uh, for both kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And Isaiah, um, and Amos comes as a shepherd who has been granted a word from the Lord. God has taken this shepherd, this humble shepherd, and granted him a prophecy that he is to proclaim to God's people. And we're going to be studying his prophecies uh, for the weeks to come. Nine chapters there, so probably nine different weeks. We'll be looking at this together. And and chapter one is primarily a prophecy that is not about Israel. It's about the nations that surround Israel, the nations that surround Israel. And so that's what we're going to be studying this morning, these prophecies that are given from verse three of chapter one to verse three of chapter two. These prophecies that are given to the nations that surround Israel. What does God have to say to these nations? Well, they are condemned by God. As we read that through, it's pretty heavy reading. As you look again and again at the words of God to these nations, they're condemned by God. And it's not for false worship per se. It's not for following after idols. What does God have to say to these different nations that are listed in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2? It is their crimes against humanity. The way they have been cruel to other people on the earth is what God condemns them for. What sort of crimes have they committed? Well, one is the cruelty by which they've gone to war against other nations. And so if you look with me at verse 3, which is speaking to the Arameans, uh, the Arameans are condemned for the way they have threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Uh, this nation, uh, the Arameans are from Damascus. They have threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Now, this may be uh, a metaphor or it may be literally. What is being spoken of there with sledges is the way that people, the farmers, used to break the chaff from the grain. So you would harvest the grain, then you've got to get the chaff out of it so that you can get the grain and use it to make bread. 
but what they would do is they would have these sledges which would have iron teeth on the bottom of them and you would drag that over the grain so that the chaff is broken away and can be blown away by the wind and so that you've got the grain lying there on the ground. And here we see God says that the Arameans have threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. And this may be a metaphor for the way that they have just gone through and ravaged Gilead and been very thorough and very cruel. It's been as though they were using iron teeth, breaking up the people of Gilead. Or it could be literally taken that they may have lain the people on the ground of Gilead and dragged sledges of iron teeth over the top of them. God sees this and says, you have been cruel to those around you, to the people from Gilead. And so what does God say? I am going to judge you as a result. What other crimes have been committed by the nations around them? Well, the Philistines are next in verses 6 through to verse 8. And what have the Philistines done? Well, they have been involved in slavery. We see in verse 6, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. God sees the slavery which the Philistines had been practicing. They'd taken whole captives and sold them to Edom, and God is judging them accordingly. And then in a similar vein, uh, we see the sins of Tyre are also for their work of slavery. Verse 9, it says, This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. What is wrong with the people of Tyre? Well, they've been practicing slavery as well. They've been taking captives. But look at the people that they're taking captive, people who they actually had a treaty with. They had a treaty of brotherhood with those people. And what did they do? They rounded them up and sold them as slaves. God sees. God knows what they're doing. And they're condemned as a result by the prophet Amos. What's another sin that we see here? Well, we see that Edom has also uh, pursued his brother, it says in verse 11. He pursued his brother with a sword, stifling all compassion because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. The Edomites, what had they done? They had pursued their brothers too, but not sold them into slavery. They had actually pursued them with the sword and they had killed them rather than sell them into slavery. And then the Ammonites are listed in verse 13 as to what sin they have been performing. For three sins of Ammon, verse 13, even for four I will not turn back my wrath because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Terrible cruelty here. Where they go after the enemy and they kill the unborn so that no one has a claim to that land that they are taking over. That's what it says there in the text. He ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. If you can annihilate everybody in a community, then no one can be there in 20 years time saying, actually, this is our land and we're going to take it back. So they killed everyone, including the pregnant women, the most vulnerable people in the community. And then the Moabites. Over in chapter 2, Amos chapter 2, the Moabites are listed in verse 1. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Why? Because he burned as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. Desecration of bodies. God sees and says, this is not right. 
when you take over another nation and then you display this kind of cruelty where you desecrate the body of the king of that nation. So all these sins are listed here and they are sins by which even pagans would generally be appalled to see happening. These nations should have known better. The other pagans around them should have looked at them and said, this is terrible what you are doing. And what will God do as a result of the cruelty? Does he stand idly by? No, I've said before. He will judge them for what they're doing. And that's Amos's word to these nations. God does not stand idly by. God is a holy and just God. You cannot be cruel to other humans and think that God does not notice. Even if you're part of a pagan nation that doesn't worship the Lord, he notices and he will call you to account for it is the message of Amos. And what will God do when he calls people to account? Well, he says again and again in this to the different nations that he will destroy their kings. In verse 5, it says, I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. Verse 8, I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. And in verse 3 of chapter 2, I will destroy her ruler, the Moabite ruler, and kill all her officials with him. What's the punishment that God inflicts upon these cruel nations? takes away their king. What else does he say that he will do? In verse 5 of chapter 1, speaking of the Arameans, he says that he will send them into exile. Verse 5, the last sentence there, the people of Aram, Aram will go into exile to Kerr. And in verse 15 of chapter 1 as well, speaking of the Ammonites, it says, her king will go into exile, he and his officials together. God will send them away. They think they've been able to keep that land that they've taken over, but God will send them into exile. And he will bring war upon them. We see that in verse 14 of chapter 1, that it will be amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day, that God will send his judgment And in verse 2, when speaking of the Moabites, it says, I will send fire upon Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. God will take away their kings. God will send them into exile. God will send war against these nations who have been so cruel to other nations themselves. And one thing that he keeps on saying again and again throughout this prophecy is that he will send fire. Did you notice that? In each and every case, six times here in this passage, we see God says, I will send fire. In verse 4, I will send fire. In verse 7, I will send fire. In verse 10, I will send fire. In verse 12, I will send fire. Verse 14, I will set fire. And verse 2 of chapter 2, I will send fire. And each of those proclamations of fire that come out from God are where he will destroy the defences that they have. He will set fire to their fortresses, to their gates, to their kings, to their walls that surround them. They cannot have those defences protect them any longer because God will send fire. And it is a certain judgment that God is making. It's not as though they can say, oh, yes, well, that's the God of Israel and he's not going to act. Um, 
He says all those things, but does he really have the power to accomplish them? God says he will indeed do so, and he will not turn back his wrath. Did you see that refrain coming through again and again? There's some refrains that come through again and again, like I will send fire, but there's one that says, for three sins of Damascus in verse 3, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. In verse 6, I will not turn back my wrath. In verse 9, I will not turn back my wrath. In verse 11, I will not turn back my wrath. In verse 13, I will not turn back my wrath. In verse 1 of chapter 2, I will not turn back my wrath. God has said it. Again and again it says, says the Lord, and thus says the Lord, says the Lord, thus says the Lord, I will not turn back my wrath. This is a certain judgment that is coming upon these nations that surround Israel. And we know, standing on this side of history, that God's word came true. These nations were destroyed. They were ones that fell under the wrath of God. So the question is, what relevance does this have for us today? These nations are long gone. How does this have any impact upon us here in 2018 over a a very large island on the other side of the earth? Does it have any impact for us? Well, as we look at this and we look at the cruelty of these people, we see that the world hasn't changed. The world hasn't changed. They're still cruel to one another. Pagans are still guilty of crimes against humanity. There is a threshing of one another. There is a selling of one another. There is a breaking of contracts between brothers. There is the abuse of innocence. Those who are very vulnerable are taken advantage of around the world. If you read or watch the news in any way, you will see this again and again. As you look at the nations of the earth, you see the way that they are cruel in the way that we see them being cruel in the book of Amos. Annihilation of people continues on in the Middle East and in parts of Europe. They just go through and wipe out whole people groups. Modern forms of slavery are used by rebels and dictators in Africa, Asia and South America. They take advantage of people and enslave them. And terrible acts of cruelty are carried out against the vulnerable. Even within Western nations like the United Kingdom... United States and even our own country, cruelty occurs. People are taking advantage of one another. In what ways, you ask? Well, business owners often enslave other people by paying measly wages. If they pay anything to some people, they take advantage of them. It's a form of slavery. People show complete disregard for contracts, particularly when they know that it's a vulnerable person and they can't pursue them in legal battles through the courts. So they say, oh, yes, it's a bit of paper, but what does it mean? And they break contracts, even in Western nations like us. And producers and watchers of pornography is an example of people taking advantage of the vulnerable. Child pornography and young women who often are desperate for money, they're taken advantage of in Western nations like ours. And then governments take advantage of the vulnerable. I see this more and more in our country, teaching shameful ideologies to children, trying to get children to believe certain things when they're at their most vulnerable and are meant to be encouraged and supported, our nation takes advantage of them. And in our nations, there is outright attack 
on the most vulnerable people of all, people in the womb. It is possible for people to rip open pregnant women in this country, not rip them open so that the woman dies, but to do what was happening there long ago, taking advantage of people in the womb who cannot defend themselves. This continues. Cruelty continues. Humanity hasn't changed. Those nations around Israel, they point to our nations today as well. Now, are these pagans, these people out there who commit great acts of cruelty, we see them on the other side of the world, we see them within our own nation, are they responsible to God, like those nations were responsible to God so many years ago? Yes, God has left a witness to his law on human hearts. They are called to account for what they do. Even if they do not acknowledge God, they still are accountable to God. And we saw that in that passage that we had read for us before from Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Indeed, when Gentiles, that's the other nations, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law, which is God's law, is written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. They're accountable to God, even if they do not acknowledge his existence. The pagans around us in this country and the countries of the world who commit great acts of cruelty against the vulnerable, they are called to account by God. And God will respond to such cruelty. As a holy and just God of the day of Amos, he is still that same God today, and he still promises judgment on pagans who are cruel to one another. What does he promise? He still promises, I will send fire. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There is a fire of judgment to come. It may not come in the way that it came to those nations many years ago that actually burnt up their physical walls at that time and they were destroyed and then people have lived in those areas since. There is a fire to end all fires that is coming. There is the flames of eternal hell that will be poured out upon pagans for their cruelty towards one another. And all walls and fortresses and kings will be burned. It doesn't matter what security measures they have in place to protect them from the fire of God, that fire will indeed come overcome all fortresses. It doesn't matter how many security guards you have, it doesn't matter how many cameras you have up, it doesn't matter how many Dobermans prowl your yard doesn't matter how much razor wire you put up or how many shotguns you have in the house. When God sends his fire, it will come and consume all fortresses that you may have in place. God does indeed call the pagans to account and promises punishment upon them. And it will come upon them. God does not turn back his wrath ever. God does not turn back his wrath for sin. 
God's word always comes to fruition. And when he says he gets angry about sin and he sends his wrath, he does indeed send it. He has the power to do so. It's not empty words by which the Lord says, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. They're not empty words. He has the power to fulfill. When he says he will destroy the heavens and the earth with fire one day and cast those who do not trust in him into eternity in hell, those who are being cruel towards one another, it does happen. It will happen. Unless God redirects his wrath towards Christ on the cross. So that's the thing. God never holds back his wrath against sin. It either comes upon the sinner or it becomes, comes upon the one who became sin at the cross. God can redirect his wrath towards Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling convicted right now about your acts of cruelty towards other people, you can see yourself in Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you're quaking with fear even now about the wrath of God that is coming upon people who have been cruel to one another, then I encourage you, turn to Jesus Christ. Repent of what you've been doing. Turn to him and ask that the wrath that you deserve is poured out upon him instead. Now, you may be saying, oh, well, no, I haven't really been cruel to other people. We're all cruel to one another. A child in a playground can trade Pokemon cards in a way that benefits him and takes advantage of the kindergarten kid who doesn't know any better. The kindergarten kid doesn't know he's got some great card that is worth great, of great value. And the older child comes along and takes advantage of that vulnerable little child. It's possible for a child to take advantage of the vulnerable. It's possible for adults to do so too. If we can see it in a child, we can see it in adults all too easily. We all deserve God's wrath. And so we should all quake with fear if we know that that wrath is still directed towards us instead of towards Jesus Christ. But if you are a Christian and you know that the wrath of God has not been turned back but has been redirected towards Jesus Christ and you are safe in God's arms, what can you learn from Amos in chapter 1 here? Well, I would encourage you to be an Amos, to be a prophet of God, to speak his words to others. Christians are the ones who are called upon by God to warn the godless, to warn the pagans of the acts of cruelty that they are committing, that they will not go unpunished, but the wrath of God is descending upon the godless against their wickedness. We are the salt and light of this world. We are the ones who are to tell people that what they're doing is cruel and wrong and God will judge them for it. Because if we do not warn them, who will? That the Lord has spoken and will not turn back his wrath. I love that most of you in this room accept the reality of hell and the judgment that is to come. But the question is, do you tell others who do not know about the reality of the judgment to come? I'm not saying get a sandwich board and go and stand in Pitt Street. The end is nigh written on it. But do you look for opportunities to warn pagans that there is a judgment to come, that they are accountable to God, even if they do not recognise God, that he recognises what they're doing and will hold them to account? Do you look for opportunities to tell pagans about the danger of sin and hell? And they say, 
Uh, be a prophet? Yeah, nah, I don't think so. Maybe when I'm a bit bolder. Maybe when I'm a bit stronger. When I know more about God, then I will tell people about the judgment to come. Well, look at Amos. If God can use a humble shepherd to be his spokesman, he can use all of us to speak the words of judgment that are here, proclaim them to others so that they are saved, if we'll simply pluck up the courage to do so. Now, how do you pluck up the courage to warn people of the judgment to come? Well, I would say meditate upon the awful fire of God's judgment against humanity. If you truly understand the reality of hell, you really believe that God does hold pagans to account, that God will judge them for what they have done, then you won't be able to help but warn them of the judgment that is coming, the wrath of God, that God is going to send fire. Is it unloving to tell someone that they'll be burnt up with no one to rescue them? Is it unloving to tell them that? A house was burnt down in our relatively safe neighbourhood. I was just thinking a few weeks ago, the fire brigade, do they really do much in our community? Like, imagine all the tax dollars that go to them. They, they're up there and they're usually going over to the cafes, I see them, and enjoying themselves. And you think, what do they get up to? Fires don't really happen in our suburb anymore. And then a couple of weeks ago, a f- home in Rod Point, the next suburb over, burnt down. The newspaper report says, tragedy, this was written on the morning of the house being burnt down, tragedy has struck a family in Sydney's inner west this morning as a man died from a house fire. Police say he re-entered a burning home at Rod Point to fight the fierce blaze in the early hours of this morning. Emergency services were called just before 2.30am and arrived to find the house well alight. The woman and her son had managed to escape the fire, but the man went back inside to fight the fire and suffered fatal injuries, police said. The man's mother waited outside the home. Six fire crews arrived at the scene to find the woman outside the burning home, according to Fire and Rescue New South Wales. New South Wales Fire and Rescue Duty Commander Graham Moore said the blaze was fierce and added that the tragic death was a stark warning for anyone attempting to re-enter a property during a fire. It's extremely sad circumstances for the family, he says. It's a really timely reminder that once you manage to get yourself out of a fire, whatever you do, don't go in. It took about 30 firefighters more than two hours to extinguish the blaze, which completely destroyed the home. Would it have been unloving for someone to tell that man, don't go in there, that your action will bring fire upon your body? Was it unloving of those 30 firefighters to show up and spend all that time extinguishing that blaze so that other homes in that area were safe and people's lives were preserved? So is it unloving of us to warn people of an eternal blaze that is coming that will never be extinguished. That fire down at Rod Point, it was extinguished. And even if the firefighters hadn't shown up, eventually it would burn out. It may take quite a few other homes with it, but eventually it would burn out. The fire that God promises to send in Second Peter chapter 3 does not burn out. It will consume people for all eternity. 
Are you ready to warn those people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbours, your politicians, even your enemies, that there is a judgment to come because of the cruelty that they have displayed to other humans? Are you going to warn them? Particularly when you know that there is a way to escape that fire. If there was no way to escape the fire, if there was no way to escape God's wrath, then you might say, okay, let them at least live a couple of decades in peace, blissful ignorance about the fire to come, and it will be okay. At least they enjoy themselves for some time here, and then they will burn eternally. But there is a way of salvation. There is a fire blanket that is provided to mankind if they will simply accept it, if they will wrap themselves in that fire blanket. Not even their hair will be singed. Aren't you going to tell them that there is a way of salvation from the fire that is to come? You will tell them about the danger, but then also tell them the good news, that the one who says, I will send fire, also sent his son and then poured out that wrath upon him so that they too could go free as you are free from the fire that is to come. Will you stand idly by and watch people walk to destruction, knowing what is coming to them, and say nothing? God says, I will send fire, 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 I will send fire. I will consume fortress after fortress, wall after wall, any layer of protection that these pagans set up, I will consume it. But God also said, I will send my my son whom I love. Will you tell people that? That the one who said, I will send fire, also said, I will send my son. So that they flee from the fire and wrap themselves up in the blanket, that fire blanket that can protect them from the wrath of God that will descend upon them. Think of those around you. Is there anyone who has not heard that once? in their life. Once, will you let that be? Will you let them walk into the fire and be burned for all eternity? Or will you say something, like Amos the prophet said something so many years ago? Let's speak with our God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God of justice. As we look at humanity... And we see the acts of cruelty all around this world. It is wonderful to know that you do not stand idly by and let humans be cruel to one another and do not bring an end to their acts of cruelty. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have compassion on the pagans who are around us and to warn them of the wrath that is to come so that they repent and flee to Jesus Christ, the only one who can save them from your fire. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness. Help us to meditate upon the reality of hell. We don't just meditate upon it for our own sake, but for the sake of others, so that we really believe what is to come will come, and we warn people to flee from the coming wrath. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.